Hey guys, it's Renee here at the Rosie Hour Podcast. And guess what? It's episode number 31. Pew, 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 pew. And we have two more dope guests. First up, Kevin Lemon, who's a sommelier out there in California. And the amazing debonair, Ted Henry of Close Duval Winemaker. Yay! Pew, 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 pew. Everybody drink rose. Rose. So we sipping rose. We're going to sip rose. Rose. Sipping rose. Baby girl, she don't play. Don't play. So we sipping rose. We're going to sip rose. That rose hour, baby. Sipping rose. Hey there, friends. It's Renee. Oh, we doing that again? I, I thought you was going to continue to uh, say something. Oh, and bartender Bing! Yay! <laughs> Time out. This- right. Should we start over? Woo! Oh, yeah! Man. Woo, Yes, there's yes. a lot happening in the world this morning. Like, well, yesterday, like, it snowed in Denver, Colorado. I don't know if you knew that. It was a 50-degree temperature change in one day. Um, I remember, and it's not surprising that that happened. I remember when I was a kid, I got, uh, I flew out to the Denver, Colorado part of a program I was in as part of school. And I remember, like, it had weird, um... This climate and weather swings. I remember like every day at noon, it would just rain. Yeah, but like about it's minutes. September. No, I get it. I mean, it just, I say, I say that to say that I don't doubt that that would happen in Colorado because of how crazy the weather do swing in that, 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 uh, well, they're saying this is unprecedented. So, like, everyone in Colorado is like, this is weird because, you know, it's not ski season in in Denver right now. So everyone's like, oh, it was just 100 degrees yesterday. So this has not happened before. People are really freaking out. They're like, oh, is Jesus coming next week? And then just mind you, just a couple you know, 100 miles away, we have wildfires going on in California. Well, it is 2020. We can just, you know, stop there and just blame it on that. Um, you know. <laughs> it's a lot happening in the world. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just think, like, not to make lie or make heavy, but, like, we definitely need to... I don't know. Like, I just feel we need to just be more thankful, more blessed, more appreciative of what's around us. Like, I don't know. Like, it could be anyone's last day. You can get COVID. You can get, I don't know, a asteroid. Who knows what's happening th- these days? I definitely agree. I think we should, as a as a community, as a people, as a human race, we should just be more kinder to each other, you know? Yes. Let's start it with us today. So tell me two things you appreciate about me today. Two things I appreciate about you is I appreciate how smart you are and how you're able to get into a situation, break it down and come up with a solution to move everyone forward. Okay, that's one. Another thing that I appreciate about you, I think that you're the most caringest person I've ever met in my life. 
Interesting. And I've been here for about 38 years and I've never met someone that, just speaking about me, care about me as much as you do. And that means a lot to me. Oh, where's the little harp thing? The little, oh. So I, I would say that. So I would say those are the two things I appreciate about you. Oh, okay. So everybody in the world, everybody listening to this podcast, we want everyone to do that. Tell everybody two things that you appreciate about somebody else. So you're probably wanting to hear my two things about you then, huh? I am curious. Okay. So my first thing that I appreciate about you is your your appreciation of a good time when you want to have a good time honey everybody's having a good time you are making sure the entire room is uh having a great best memorable time of their life everybody is in it nobody is feeling bad everybody is like this guy is here for me and, and that's hard to do because a lot of people when they're having a good time uh they're not really trying to share it so that's that's hard to do and and that's commendable because sharing a good time is is hard for a lot of people to do so that's one and i think the second thing is uh you are focused when you get laser focused on something you are you are tied locked loaded into making that thing into fruition yeah, there you go. Thank you. Yeah. You yeah. Especially for the first appreciation, I never know you, you you felt like that. I I mean, I I'm you, not you saying know. you do it all the time. I know you said when I'm in that zone that you know I didn't know that. That's, yeah, I mean, when you see a good time, honey, you are like everybody. When you are having a good time, you are like you get a piece of cake, you get a drink, you get a piece of the bong, you get everything. Like everybody is having a fun fellowship time. So I think that is is important because you know sometimes when people are having fun, they're only in their own little bubble, and like you are one of those guys who's like you know, hey, if I'm partying, you're partying. Like we all partying. So like. That's that's commendable. A lot of people don't do that. Okay. Yeah. That made me feel good this morning. Turn up. Hey, I like that. Yeah, turn up more. Hey. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so, bartender Ben, what are what? Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> that's that's the kind of Wednesday I'm having, guys, because I started a new job. Oh snap! Yay! Well, what you doing? So I work for a new organization, a new firm, basically, still doing small business and advocacy lobbying, um, but more so for black and brown small businesses across the country. And the reason I'm targeting black and brown is because uh, we are seeing more of their businesses die, um, especially because of COVID. But because historically, we know black and brown businesses have issues historically because of what this country has done. Uh, access to capital, redlining, uh, you name it, right? The financial in- industry is one of the most racist industries in the world, right? In order to get a loan, whether it's to go to school, get a home, uh, advance your business, the financial industry prevents people from advancing themselves, right? You probably know what I'm about to say. Well, the GI Bill, right? You know, when veterans came home, home uh, who were promised you can get a loan for a mortgage so that you can do better for yourselves. That was the first like frontline tier or the frontier, if you will, of when that started uh, because they were denied yet they were promised. And so they were told, oh, 
that doesn't apply to you. Although you went and put your life on the line. And so from there on, you know, redlining existed. And so small business owners, uh, even now to this day, because of uh, credit, you know, credit being you don't have $250,000 in a bank. You don't have a place where it's desirable for your business to go, whether it's brick and mortar, or you don't have the type of business that is desirable by the bank. Uh, we don't want to give you a loan. So I want to fight for those people. And, you know, also, you know, if you're a black and brown business owner and you want to start a vineyard, you know, or, or a wine store, that's not considered desirable because it's seen that you are not going to succeed and it's a higher risk. So banks will not give you a loan. And that is where we should start. And what I mean by that is the education of how us as a people should run a business. I know through what I'm doing and you, you've probably seen this as well. Us as black and brown business owners, we have amazing ideas. But when it comes to executing them and putting them into fruition, we don't really do a good job of that. It's because we don't have the steps, you know, over the population. We don't have the, step, the, 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 the necessary knowledge to propel those ideas where they need to be, to where they come out in their actual businesses that can help society. And I think, you know, that's where we should start with yeah. the help with black and brown businesses. Yes, it's cool to get people funding, but if you show someone how to fish properly, they'd be able to make money off the fish that they catch. Well, I mean, there's something you know. to that too, but you also need money, right? Well, no, I mean, yeah, I'm not, definitely not disputing that. But I mean, I think before you get the money, you should know how to handle and manage it in a business capacity. And I think a lot of times with black and brown business, and I struggle with this too, I'm still getting my education on how to, to handle and manage money and not just in a... You know, you go to work, you make money, you pay bills, you save a little bit of capacity, but hey, you have actual expenses that keeps your business running and making those types of decisions and how you make those types of decisions. Well, and I also think, um, I think we talked about this too in our community. We don't know how to spend money. Right. Um, I see a lot of black business owners who are horrible with money. They spend it on things that they don't need and they think that they need it now. And it's like, you have to grow into your business, right? And I, I just get very discouraged in seeing it, but I know it's part of the process. But, you know, I hope and, and hope uh, people look at organizations like the Black Upstart. Uh, the UNCF has a program as well for college students who want to start businesses as well uh, to get into like a program in college so that when they graduate they have their own businesses um there's plenty of programs out there it's just more of like what is the research one does how do they get involved and how do they get out there into it and i think you know how we we um train our kids by having peewee football basketball type um sporting environments to, to groom their skills as a young athlete right mm-hmm why don't we have these same types of camps for young entrepreneurs? I'm not saying that they don't exist, but it seems like it's pretty rare. We have an entrepreneurial class for eight year old kid. Well, I, they you do know. exist. And I think it's more so like, what research do you want to do? I think more people would like to have a football player versus a real estate mogul. Right. And so, you know, how do you train up a child to be a real estate mogul? I don't think most people know, but most people figure out 
how to get their kid into Pee Wee football because that trajectory is easier to accomplish than the real estate. But I think to that point, you know, it's 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 Google, man. Like Google's here. Like let's we information superhighway. Like there's no reason why we don't know. Yes, there's fake news. There's bad news. There's bad misinformation out there. But I think uh, if we really put our resources in information seeking, we really can we can really make some power moves during this time. Yes, and and definitely with that, um, yeah, I think the focus should be on the youth. Yeah, you know, I think we went a little bit too hard on our entrepreneurial kick. Um, what are we drinking today? Well, bartender Ben, we are drinking because we have an amazing winemaker today, uh, Ten Hidry, who talks about um, making some amazing wines in his history of like. How he got into the biz and he works for Close to Fall. And that's what we are sipping today, Close to Fall Rose. Um, and he's gonna talk more about the rose, but essentially uh it's from Napa Valley and it is a must-try bottle of rose. Um, they are super, super, super awesome. They have virtual tasting packages. So like you can actually go on their website and like purchase some wine and do a virtual tasting with them. Uh, so definitely looking forward to hearing more about Ted and how he got into the industry. Uh, and then also we talked to a sommelier on this episode too. I love when we do. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Lemon. Okay. Love the name. He's also in California. Uh, shout out to everybody in California. Westside, Cali. Uh, you know, we all, we know you guys are going through a tough time right now with all the wildfires. Right. So be safe. Be strong, be encouraged. We are here. We support you all. Um, but Kevin talks about, you know, how he got in the industry as well. And, you know, I'm just here for all the sommeliers and all the winemakers, man. So close to Val is what we sip it on today. I love it. I love it. And you know me, I'm always here for the alcohol content. Yeah. So Ted is going to talk about more about that. Mm. He's going to get into that and like, why their alcohol content is what it is. So we're going to get into all that in the so interview. I ain't even going to talk about it. Yes, because you have to listen it. to the interview. Damn right. Listen to the damn interview. Yes. So first up, we going to listen to Kevin Lemon, the sommelier in California. My man, honey crane. friends it's renee here at the rose hour and today i am here with the one of the best sommeliers in the united states of america he's awesome he's fun his sister was on the show as well ladies and gentlemen kevin lemon the best intro i think i've ever gotten oh uh, just put me in your pocket wherever you go i could pop out and do it <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming on the show kevin oh it's my pleasure this is awesome i'm so excited to be here yes yes and you guys you i cannot wait till you guys see if you haven't already seen it 
because you know this of course is recorded before you probably have seen it his photo i mean it's everything that you want in a best friend uh the wine bottle everything your happiness the wonderful like happy clouds and sky i mean you're just a a happy person and we appreciate you (laughs) i mean that is truly my happy place right there yeah yeah. big big bottle of bubbly the size of my baby and uh the beautiful weather (laughs) you're and you're good to go yeah i'm good to go awesome well kevin if you can just give the people a little background about who you are and sort of like what you do as a sommelier I, uh, you know, I wish we had that much time that I could give you my whole background. It's quite a story. I'm here for uh, it. <laughs> give us the, the, the four-minute you know, introduction of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for, as far as the four-minute introduction goes, you know, uh, uh, these past uh, eight years or so, uh, my path through wine, it's been amazing. I've dipped into just about every area that... Um, that wine and actually the beverage world has to offer. I've worked with more than just wine. As a sommelier should, you know, it's, it's more than just wine. Uh, and people forget that a lot of times. It's beer too, it's spirits, uh, even coffee and tea you have to know oh. about to, uh, to consider yourself a true sommelier because what you are as a sommelier is you are a steward for the people that you encounter, the people that you know and love as well. And uh, you recommend beverages, mm. so that's that. It's not just wine with the sommelier, and uh, a lot yeah. of people forget that. I I definitely will tell you this. I did not realize that it was like other beverages too. I thought it was just like beer, wine, spirits, but like coffee, tea, uh, and mm-hmm. and assorted things like juices and all of that too. I'm assuming. Yeah. What? Yeah. The- Less focus on juices, but you got to make your mimosa somehow, you know? Right. You got to know what kind of juice goes with what kind of drink, right? Wow. So how long have you been a sommelier? Um, Well, I would say I consider myself a sommelier for probably about the past five years. Wow. Um, You know, it's uh, it all started with uh, restaurant work, Hmm. you know, um. And they, they, uh, the restaurant I was working at in Oakland is called the Lake Chalet. It's awesome. You go check it out if you're ever on the West Coast. The West Coast uh, is the best in coast. Oakland I, area. I love yeah. it. I love Oakland too. So yes, you, that is on the list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Check it out. They, they got a beautiful deck goes out into the middle of Lake Merritt. It's about 130 people. Oh, wow. Uh, and I did, I did a lot of wine education for them. Um, you know, I started out real lowly, just running food to tables, but they said, hey, you know a lot about wine. How do you know so much about wine? And I said, well, you know, I, I drink a lot. <laughs> and then uh, it, that, it went from there. They had me uh, starting to train all their new servers on all the wines by the glass. Uh, and then one of my coworkers, uh, who also had a, a great passion for wine, said, "Hey, you know that that movie Psalm had just come out, and he was like, we should look into this and and educate ourselves some more." Yeah, That's totally. I mean. And then uh, it just kind of took off from there. From there, uh, he actually went on to go through the sommelier program to become a certified sommelier, and I kind of wanted to shift more to the sales side of things. Mm. So so I went into a different program 
called WSET. It's the Wine and Spirits Educational Trust. Whereas he continued on through the CMS, the Quartermaster Sommeliers. And uh, there's even more than just that. Those are the two major organizations. There's a third one, the Society of Wine Educators. I also hold a certification through them as well. Wow. Uh, and, um, and that's just, you know, here in the States, those are all worldwide organizations, but they mostly, their biggest... Uh, biggest presence is in the states right now and that you know france has their own sommelier program italy has their own sommelier program i'm sure a lot of other countries have their own uh, dedicated programs for sommeliers as well yeah and it's like do they intertwine with each other so like if you become uh, a wine sommelier in italy is that transferable or that certification acceptable like in france or the united states Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, if you dedicate that amount of time and passion to becoming a sommelier, um, you can be a sommelier wherever you want to be around the world. I'm here for that. It's actually, and uh, a lot of these programs probably don't like to hear this, but you don't actually have to go through an educational program to be a sommelier. What? No. Uh, this is where my ears are perking up more. Tell us more, yeah. Kevin. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we could maybe call you Rosé Sommelier. Ooh, I like that. You like that? <laughs> that kind of has a ring to it, huh? I do. Renee the Rosé Sommelier. Yes, that sounds perfect. Yeah. Now, I, I don't want everybody out there to just go around and start calling themselves Sommeliers. And uh, yeah, so there we- are a lot of Sommeliers out there that... Uh, have dedicated a lot more time to it, a lifetime. You know, I'm I'm a little baby psalm over here. I've been, you know, calling myself a psalm for maybe five years, and uh, there's a lot of people out there that have been doing this for 50 years or more, and they are just a wealth of knowledge. And to anyone that wants to call themselves a psalm, that's the one thing that I do recommend is you can never forget that there's always somebody out there that yes. knows more than you yeah. because you can never know everything. <laughs> Nor could you, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like there's a new bottle of something coming out next week. Like, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. That's oh, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Just about every country in the world has a wine producing region. All 50 states in the United States now have wine producing, uh, now produce wine. Even if they don't grow it, they might ship the grapes in from a neighboring state or, uh, you know, what have you. Wow, that's crazy because, like, I don't think of states like Connecticut or, well, actually, no, I could see Connecticut now when I think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong wrong state. Let me pick that up and come back another way. Like Georgia. Like, I don't see Georgia being, like, the state of grapes, you know, or Alabama. What? (laughs) And this is why you're on the show to tell us, get us educated. Like, so there's, like, wine producers excuse my terminology yeah uh like in louisiana Mm -hmm. wow that's crazy because i think most people think like of course you know napa valley you know and then of course i think you know i've heard of a vineyard in michigan which i'm kind of like that's interesting especially being from the midwest myself um because they get really cold and i'm like 
how are those grapes surviving? And then also I think of like Virginia because living in the DMV, uh, there's so many wine tours in Virginia. But I don't think like people think outside of those places. Yeah, I mean, uh, some other major ones uh, that have popped up recently, Texas. Like, you think about Texas and wine? No, I think of barbecue. Not the first place from... Yeah, right? <laughs> I think that's what most people <laughs> think. It's like the barbecue region. capital, but that's about it. Yeah. Their wine region has really been up and coming, and they started out by trucking in grapes from, you know, Pass Robles right here in my neck of the woods. And uh, and now they've got a, a really burgeoning wine scene with uh, a lot of a lot of acres under vine. Ah, that's interesting. Texas, yeah. Texas of all places. I just really think of like the Alamo and barbecue. <laughs> not not <laughs> fine crafted wine. Maybe beer, yeah. but definitely not wine. That's that's fascinating. Okay, let me let me ask yeah. another state. Okay, because this is this is going to be a, a crucial one. Okay. Okay. All right, I don't, know, I don't know if you're ready for this one. This one's going to be a woozy. Kentucky. Bourbon is huge. Uh, Whiskey is huge. Is there yeah. a, a wine that's coming out of Kentucky that's good? <laughs> you know, I might need a little time to research that one. Yeah, I, okay. I, See? I don't have one. Of you. That, that one, you got me on that one. Yeah, because like, uh, you I just think of bourbon there, Kentucky, you know? But yeah. yeah, no, Kentucky's big. Bourbon, bourbon and beer, mainly bourbon. Yeah, I mean that bourbon and, tour actually, is real. <laughs> there is a very large and upcoming distillery in Kentucky producing brandy, so there's got to be grapes grown somewhere. Oh yeah. my! Yeah. And so, how does one so get a tour to these places? Like, if I wanted to do a wine tour, what's the best way? I think a lot of people like. Just assume, like, you know, from watching, like, Housewives or, like, New Jersey or something or California or Orange County or something, that, like, they just, like, show up. Is that usually the way people do it? I mean, I've been on wine tour, but just to the listeners out there, like, how how does that come about? Yeah, I mean, definitely the way that most people do wine tours here in uh, the United States is they just go there and they show up. I love and the United States. Is, that is a great way to have like you know a nice relaxing vacation but you can also create some stress for yourself too because if you got your heart set on this tiny little boutique family winery Mm. that your friend told you about and they're like oh i went there it was amazing but what your friend didn't tell you is that they called and they made a reservation because that place was reservations only Ah. so if you have a destination that you want to go to where there is a winery that you have your heart set on visiting you have this wine with your friend and you want to get back to that place of happiness you gotta call yeah you gotta make sure otherwise you could just fly all the way across the country and then be really disappointed when you get there we don't want that because you're supposed to be no dealing of why not why not drink why not have another drink why not (laughs) why not fun and happy Yes. We want you. Yeah. The bubbles are there for a purpose. <laughs> That's right. That is right. Okay. So I know I did, we can talk to you all day. Literally, I literally have so many questions. <laughs> um, but I know like there's this thing called life and you have to live it and you live in California and it's beautiful. So I will belabor all that to say a few questions. <laughs> um, yes. What are some of your favorite vineyards then in California? 
food. Now, focusing all the way down to vineyards, that's uh, that's pretty tough. Ooh, that means um, there's a lot of great choices. Yeah, I mean, California is the largest wine-producing state in the country, and actually, we produce more wine than some other countries as a whole. Yeah. Uh, just out of this one state, so... Um, let's see. Or maybe is there like a wine tour like that's out that like you can go to several vineyards through one like one group or something like that? Like, is there anything that exists like that that you're like, I recommend this? Oh, definitely. Now, here locally in San Luis Obispo County, um, there are probably a couple of dozen tour companies Mm. and most of them are going to operate this way you're going to call them up for a tour and they're going to say great we're more than happy to have you what are you looking for now all of these tour companies have realized that to get you back for the next tour and the next tour they want to tailor it to you Mm. so In San Luis Obispo County, there are more than 300 wineries, probably coming up on 350 wineries. Wow. That's a lot of grapes. And so (laughs) that is a lot of grapes. And almost all of them are producing phenomenal wines. And it's wine is so diverse. Even within just rosé. Yeah. You can have a rosé that's dark, almost like a red wine. It's got a little tan into it. You can have one that's really, really light and crisp that you could swear you were drinking a white wine. And you can have one that's in the middle that's got all the right notes that's just, uh, you know, a nice crowd pleaser. Um, So you call up those companies, those tour companies, and they're going to say, well, what kind of wine do you like? Mm-hmm. So that's where you really have to start. And uh, you say, well, I, well, I like uh, I like wine. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, I like stuff that has alcohol content in it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and now we're getting into where you need your sommelier, right? Because mm-hmm. they can help you get into that language of wine so that you can say what you do like. You know, a lot of people are like, ooh, can I have a sweet red? And I know instantly that they don't want something like a port that should be served with dessert. They want a sweet red wine, some a red wine with some fruity notes to it. Ooh. And uh, as a sommelier, before I even ask them, well, what kind of wine do you like? I'm going to... I'm going to ask them, I'm going to give them a choice. Would you like uh, still or sparkling? You want bubbles or you want regular wine? Well, I'm not in the mood for bubbles right now. Who says that, right? Right. They're definitely not my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, at the dinner table, some people might say that. And uh, and so then I'm going to ask them, all right, uh, white, rosé, or red? And it's... so it's mainly just about asking the right questions and uh, breaking down what that person's desire is at that moment. 
Yeah. I like that. So, so I could recommend a touring company that would take you to the same four wineries that they always work with, but with 350 wineries out there, I would never want to do that. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. And it's like, you want to make sure that you're sending people to what will be geared towards what their palates prefer. Yeah. I like. I'm here for all of it. <laughs> here for it. <laughs> Magical it is. Magical. Nice. Well, I'm going to ask you our last question for today because you definitely have to come back like a lot because <laughs> we haven't even talked oh. about rosé yet. But what is your <laughs> favorite rosé? Ah, uh, yes. I I kind of thought that this one might be coming. So <laughs> this one I'm a little bit better prepared for. <laughs> you are prepared for everything. You are always prepared because you're a Somali A. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, so... I can't really say what my favorite rosé is, though, even as prepared as I am. But I can say that my favorite rosé of the moment was this beautiful sparkling wine by Iron Horse in Sonoma County. It's called the Wedding Cuvée. Ooh. It's a blend of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. And it has this beautiful pink blush to it, nice light notes of uh, raspberry, a little bit of light cherry but just just enough crispness and just enough sweetness it's perfectly balanced and uh and uh you know yeah. i'm a sucker for bubbles what can i say hey who is not if you don't like it bubbling then you just are here to pop pop the party <laughs> <laughs> we are not here for party poppers <laughs> no well, Kevin, how can people learn more from you or connect to you? Uh, do you have an Instagram or uh, a page that people can refer uh, or contact you at if, in fact, they have, like, questions about being a sommelier or, you know, wine or any of that? Um, yeah, they're more than welcome to uh, DM me on my Instagram if they have some wine questions. This is my personal Instagram, by the way. It's, uh, I'm still... I, I haven't uh, put up a, spe- a wine-specific Instagram yet, so there's probably more baby pictures on there than there is wine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is, uh, my Instagram name is Lumens. It's L-E-U-M-E-N-S. And so uh, hit me up on there with anything, uh, all your wine questions and needs. Well, we appreciate it. And Kevin, um, I hope you are okay with being the resident Rose Hour podcast uh, sommelier to answer all of our wonderful questions because we got a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you got it. You got it. Although, I don't know. I mean, my sister is texting me every other day. I'll have to squeeze in uh, between her wine questions. No worries. And she was on an episode two and she had a great, great wine story. And she was like, it's because of my brother. He's amazing. And we're like, and that's why we need to know him. That's why we love him. And because you two are like K and K. We're here for it. Yeah. K and K. K and K. Right, right. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. And we cannot wait for you to come back probably like in a week or two. <laughs> so we can start talking hey, about rosé. I would love to. Yay! 
And thank you so much for having me. Of course. Cheers, my friend. Cheers to you. Thanks so much, Kevin. We really appreciate you taking the time out and chatting with us today. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we are going to talk to Ted and learn more about how he got into winemaking and working at Close Duval. Pew, pew! friends it's Renee here at the Rosé Hour podcast and today you guys I drank this rosé about a week ago and have still dreams with this rosé like bouncing around in my head it's so amazing it's so incredible and we are so excited to have the winemaker on with us today to talk about his journey and how he created this amazing amazing rosé from Close Duval the amazing the super duper amazing, most awarded in my dreams <laughs> winemaker of 2020, Ted Henry. Oh wow, that um, <laughs> that could be the, the the best, most excited in- introduction I've ever had. So, thank you, Renee. No problem. We, sh- we should do this more often already. Yeah, so. I know. You could just put me in your pocket. You know, yeah, I just yeah, pop out. You know, I'm like your court jester. I'm like he's here. <laughs> Well, that's fantastic. I'm glad you like the wine. You know, it is actually one of my favorite because I do several wines, obviously, at the winery, but it is, um, it is annually like one of my favorite wines to stock up on because I have to have it in the house. I have to have like two bottles in the fridge at all times. Uh, it's just to me, to me, it's, you know, I'm mean, obviously, you know, rose is at the topic of, of your, your podcast. And it's, it's a really, um, it's a really special kind of category of wine. And that particular one for me is, is my go to. Yes, it's near and dear to your heart, too. I love it. It is. It is. I, I do love that one. So how did you become a winemaker? I know that's, I mean, we, we, we hear people become winemakers. We don't know how they become them. So we'd love to know your journey of, like, how you got this amazing career. Yeah, no, it, it is. It's an amazing, um, it's an amazing kind of field to be in. I'm, I'm definitely lucky to have gotten where I am. I, I actually, I went to UC Davis in California, here's Big Wine School. And I, at the time, like I was just like 19 years old or 18 years old. I was kind of shocked that you can get a college degree in winemaking. So I was like, wow, maybe I should look into this. Had I um, been told, I would have joined you. <laughs> exactly. So I think I, I just got in at the right time. And, you know, at that age, I wasn't even old enough to drink, but I was fascinated with wine. I grew up in Northern California and kind of near the wine regions and stuff. But there was always something about like, what is it with this bottle of wine that people are always talking about? You know, people like I, I was working at this like club, um, it was like an athletic club and there was all these members that were uh, big wine drinkers. And so they would come in on, you know, weekends and say, oh, I went to, you know, Schaefer this weekend or I went to uh, you know, uh, Mandavi or whatever. And they would talk about these Napa wineries they were visiting and, you know, they were so excited about their purchases. And I was just like, why are they so excited about this product? And uh, I started researching it and learning about wines and all the details and, you know, what the vintage, um, you know, variations mean and all that stuff. And I just kind of fell in love with wine. Uh, went to Davis, got that, uh, got a degree in winemaking and, and haven't looked back. Wow. 
That's yeah. amazing. And so how are you connected to Clothe the Vault? Um, so I started here, it was two, the, the end of 2015, I started uh, going on five years and I, I'd been making one in Napa for 20 years now. And the, the thing that we were doing at, or they were doing at, at Ball was going to kind of a, an opposite trend of what a lot of wineries have done, which is they've, you know, they've grown and kind of expanded and, and, and uh, often through mergers and stuff have gotten bigger and bigger. Ball was actually looking at kind of sh- Drinking and going to only estate grapes. So if you look at that bottle of rosé, it says estate uh, Pinot Noir on it, uh, or rosé of Pinot Noir. And that's because only the grapes that go into that bottle of wine and all of our wines are what were grown here on the property uh, that's owned by the winery. And so that, to me, was something that was a really cool commitment that they were making at that time that I got really drawn into. Like, I want to be part of this. And so the winery went from, you know, almost 100,000 cases maybe six years ago to like maybe 30,000 today. So it's like a third of what the production was. And so it really showed this focus on, you know, also we went to organic farming, like a lot of changes to really elevate the brand and focus on the estate. So so that's how, that's how I got kind of hooked on the Clos all thing. And yeah, I've been doing it for, for a bit now. And it's, it's a great property, great uh, family owned property and really do love it here. Wow, that's amazing. Now as a winemaker, yeah. Like, do you have like, you know, I have no idea. I'm not a winemaker. I'm a lawyer. So (laughs) I'm like, do you have like, you know, I have like certain tools in my job that I'm like, this is what helps me be effective. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything that's like, you know, you're like, I start with a ganache creep, you know, like (laughs) it's like sort of like your staple thing when you're creating wine. Oh, you know, it's actually, that's what's so fun about it is, I'm sure you've heard this before, but there's like this, this sort of combination of art and science with winemaking, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's like, there's the, the science part. It's like, so we know the chemistry, we know how the acids work with this or that, or the, you know, the, the fermentation part and the, and the yeast, how they're metabolizing sugar. So there's this, the science part, which is great as a structure, but then like the art part, which is really neat because like you're saying, it's not like there's some recipe like, okay, you want to make a rosé? Well, you have to do it this way. Right. You have to pick grapes from this area. They need to be this variety. You need to do this. It, that doesn't really exist. So that's when it gets to be kind of fun. And as a winemaker, you know, I'm thinking, well, hey, what the, I'm going to try this, you know, this year. Or, or what if I lift this in the tank? Um, you know, like right now, I'm just today, I'm doing this experiment with aged Sauvignon Blanc in barrel, which is just kind of for fun. So it's, I'm tasting 2017 Sauvignon Blanc that I've had in barrel for three years just to see what happens oh <laughs> to a wine God. like that, right? That's gotta be and, cool. Oh, it is. It's super cool. And it's just, that's what's fun about it is that there's there's nothing that's like, okay, I have to do this. It's the rule. Um, and, you know, we're always just trying to improve and make the best wine. And so like on the rosé, what I've been doing over the last like three years on that wine is trying to really nail the picking time in the vineyard to get um, the right balance of like acidity and freshness and all that. And and also to keep the, the alcohol on the lower side, you know, so we can drink more of it in the summertime and not get too, you know, over the top. So there's a lot of little tweaks that happen all the time, um, which is great. That's what's so fun about doing what I do. You're so lucky. <laughs> I know. I know. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's not able. I'm able to, to to consume your amazing artistry. So I appreciate all the work you do. So <laughs> good, good. with the rosé, the uh, 2019 Estate Pinot Noir Rosé, mm-hmm. how did you come up with the, that idea? And like, like, how did you build this? Uh, so to, 
Can I say build? Is that what we say? I don't know. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, no, that, that's, it's all it's all just synonyms. Um, yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Um, I think for this one, to me, the rosé is pretty dependent on varietal, right? So it's like I've had rosés from Ca uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, from Merlot, from Cabernet Franc. I would say all three of those are not my favorite. I think Franc is like maybe the best of those three, um, but they tend to be a little bit too tannic. You know, they even with just small skin contact time, they, they don't have that kind of lush fruitiness. They get a little bit too big. And so, uh, you know, looking at different varieties, I've had luck with Syrah in the past. Um, we don't we don't have Syrah planted at Clodoval, so that was like... That would have been one of my top choices. And then I, you know, I looked at Pinot Noir and I was like, okay, this is a good option. Because we do have we do have that grape planted. And there's two ways to make rose. I'm sure somebody's kind of gone over this at some point, but there's the Saunier method where you take you take grapes that are picked for red wine. And then you draw off the rosé juice at the beginning of the process before it starts fermenting. And then you ferment that juice and it becomes rosé. Or you pick grapes specifically for a rosé wine, which is what I'm doing for this wine. And that gives you um, grapes that are not as ripe that wouldn't maybe make a very good red wine, but they make a really good rosé wine. So that's that's kind of the, the main choices are the, the method of, you know, decision on picking either early or late or um, also the variety. So that was kind of the key thing to me is going with the Pinot, the early picking. And I think those two things together, um, the other key deal, and this is what I literally do is when, when these grapes go into the press, I'm watching that press as, as juice is dripping out and looking at the color. Ah, and that was my next and question. And that, yeah. So to me, that color of that wine in that bottle is so important. Not only, it, it, not only visually, you know, I like to have it, have a appeasing color. Um, and be somewhat consistent. But I also really think that that color gives you an idea of how much extraction that juice has got from the skins. Um, because if you if you get it too dark, you're going to have too much tannic or phenolic stuff in there mm -hmm. that's kind of bitter almost. And if it's too light, it's going to be just like a white wine. So you're sort of missing out on the rosé part. So it's really just sitting there watching the juice drip out, looking at it in a glass, and then deciding after 20 minutes, an hour, 90 minutes, maybe two hours, whatever that requires that yep we're done and then you know you, you finish off that press at that point and that's where you lock it in that color and that's that's kind of the you you make rosé almost in one day you know that. like that that yeah that decision is all about when it's picked and pressed and then the rest of it is just a slow fermentation um you know that's converting all that sugar to alcohol and re releasing carbon dioxide and all that part's kind of easy once you've got it right in the in the first part so as long as you nail that first day you're pretty good on rosé so i guess it is true rosé all day yeah exactly <laughs> at least that day <laughs> that day <laughs> takes one one day to make it and then like the rest of the year to drink it so I mean, I'm here for that. And that's and to that point you just made the rest of the year to drink it. It seems like rosé is becoming to be more of like a table, you know, wine now. Like, you know, people are like red, white or rosé now. And it's like all right. year long. Where do you think yeah. that change has come from? Well, just kind of the the sort of acceptance as rosé, at least in the in this country. I think if, you, if you're in France, like I've been in, you know, Southern France and rosé is everywhere all the time. Yeah. There, there is nothing, there's nothing associated. It's like seasonal. And also there's no stigma where I think in the past rosé is kind of like, well, and you know why? It's because of White Zinfandel, right? So like mm -hmm. White Zinfandel came out 
and everyone like went nuts and and then there's sort of this pushback where whoa that's kind of a sweet wine and it's not very serious and all that stuff and so there's kind of people's mindset was oh rosé has to be sweet and I think that is slowly kind of eroded and people now really appreciate a, a nice crisp dry rosé as well and so I think that's when it became like a mainstream wine that you can you know yeah like you said you at a restaurant or something there's multiple options for rosés. Yeah, yeah. And it's so cool now because it's like you're getting a little bit of red, a little bit of white, all combined into one little happy glass. Yeah. So it, to me, it's like for my to-go, like if I don't know what I want to drink, I'll drink rosé. Because if I'm not thinking, if I'm not thinking a certain white or a certain red, it's like, ah, I'll just go with rosé. And that's always, it's always a safe choice, turns out. Yeah, it really is. And like now you can be like, I want sparkling or brute. Yeah. Or just yeah. oh, actual like wine you know like i just yeah. want what i want and i want it now and it's okay <laughs> <laughs> exactly so what would you pair this rosé with it is it's super versatile you know like the, it's amazing because i you were mentioning that you know throughout the year now i like to think of rosé in the early part of the year with like um I mean, you know, often like almost appetizer kind of stuff, like a chilled gazpacho with rosé is fantastic. Um, you know, like uh, some, um, like a caprese salad with uh, fresh mozzarella and tomatoes and all that stuff, rosé, great. Um, and then you take that all the way to Thanksgiving, right? Which I think is like the other end of the spectrum as far as, you know, ideal like rosé, um, territory right because yeah, yeah. rosé you like you're thinking turkey and all the traditional stuff rosé totally fits with that whole thing and it's also kind of festive with the you know people getting together for thanksgiving so kind of like it goes all the way from like the late spring through the summer type food stuff i mean grilled corn and rosé fantastic you know these type of things all the way up to that thanksgiving turkey so it's, it's it does a lot of stuff you know it really does it goes with a lot of foods there's very little problem pairing it you just gave me an idea for corn uh -oh. and rosé. So thank you. Um, <laughs> right? That's going to happen very soon. And I'm going to post a picture. Thanks to you. <laughs> Excellent. Good. So if anyone's new drinking rosé, what's, what's a tip for them on how to sort of pick out a rosé that works good for them? Sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little tricky because... Um, like I mentioned earlier, some rosés, you know, were usually produced sweeter and people don't often put on the label if it's like sweet or more of a dry style. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a little hard to tell. I, I do think though that one thing that you can look at, like I mentioned color, is typically if you see like a dark red rosé, it's probably going to be a little bit more of that, a little bit more bitter or tannic um, kind of flavor to it. And when you see a lighter rosé so just color spectrum wise you're going to have uh, more like of a fruity kind of fresh character to it so so there's nothing I mean nothing necessarily wrong with like a darker rosé but it probably would be a different style of wine like maybe for a more it's a little bit hardier maybe to stick it you know with some some uh, maybe pasta dish or something like that yeah. versus a, a lighter rosé which might have a different kind of component so um look for a current vintage because rosés don't necessarily age well you know people always say like hey should i age age should i age this wine i would say rosé pretty much always no <laughs> you should drink the wine yeah. so yeah i mean that's that's always good um <laughs> So, so if you're looking on the shelf, look for, you know, vintage right now, maybe 2019, maybe 2018, something like that. If you see a 2016 on the shelf, 
probably not something that would be, I mean, not necessarily, but but in general, I would go for the newer vintage. Um, and then for me, just personally, I, I, I look for that lighter, sort of like light salmon, kind of peach, maybe color. Um, so those are the two main things, color and vintage. Right off the bat, you can see that by looking on the bottle. That's what I'd stick to. Well, and Costa Falls Rosé is amazing. And you guys have a vintage of 2019. Uh, where can people actually mm-hmm. purchase it? So that wine, you know, we sell almost all of it through the winery. So it's it's one of our most popular wines, like in the tasting room, people come visit, um, or the employees, the winery stock up. Um, nice. So that one, that one is um, is available through our website. So if you go to our website, you know, floataball.com, they uh, they will have it available. If it's not up there, there's always a phone number you can call and see if they have some cases left because it does go pretty quick. Yes, and so people get a case today mm-hmm. not a bottle get a case because absolutely trust me i mean <laughs> i went through that bottle pretty quick and i was like oh i was only supposed to have a glass yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> it's, it's it's a little dangerous in in some ways but like i said lower on alcohol so it's okay yeah so i totally was okay guys i was, was not fine, buzzed. Totally i did not fine. drink or drive i was responsible but it's good. (laughs) (laughs) So, Dad, how can people also follow you guys and you um, on social media or connect? Uh, we, you know, so I, I, I would definitely go to either our Instagram, you know, at Clodeval or our Facebook page, just Clodeval Winery on Facebook. And both are pretty well kept up. You know, we have some great, you know, photography on there. Also, uh, links, you know, in the bio and Instagram to our, um, it should go to our, our store page or also if they're offering, uh, different packages or special tastings or whatever, they'll be on there. Um, there's a lot of things that are coming up regularly, so it changes quite often. I'm also doing some videos on Instagram every once in a while with different topics and talking about different wines or tastings or pairings or you name it. So between the Instagram uh, at Clodeval or uh, Clodeval Wine Facebook, you should be able to find uh, what, we're, what we're doing. Yeah, and use our code ROSEHOUR and you get 10% off. There you go. Exciting. exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ted, this has been awesome. And I, I have to do the final Jeopardy question to you. You ready? For okay. I'm right. ready. This is this is a big question now. It's like really large. What's your favorite rosé? Dun, dun. Well, aside from my own, I'm assuming. Because that's just <laughs> that's just too easy. Right. Um, you know, I, 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 I've got to go to the old world on that. And... Um, I actually had a chance to go into Bandol and and visit the famous Domaine Tepier, um, which makes a Mavedra rosé that's probably one of the most famous in the world. And I got I got to put that down as, as something I'll never forget as far as, you know, my first kind of eye-opener rosé. So I'm sticking with it. Yes, that's <laughs> what he's going with, people. Grab it, but also get close to the ball. Use our code Rosé Hour Podcast. Well, actually, Rosé Hour. And you get 10% off. Ted. <laughs> Renee. <laughs> this has been fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we appreciate Absolutely. you so much and taking time. Um, I know it's 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 near harvest season and you have a lot of things to do. You have a barrel to look at to make sure that you know, things are good with that. So <laughs> let us know what happened to that. I feel like it's like a suspense. For the next oh, time you're gonna we have talk. To, yeah, you're going to have to wait. Okay, sounds good. All right, cool. <laughs> well, thanks again, Ted, for joining us today. We really appreciate you. My pleasure, Renee. Thank you for having me. No problem. Cheers. Okay. Yay! <laughs> <laughs>
Thanks so much, Ted. We really appreciate you taking the time out and speaking with us today. And also, Kevin, shout out to you. And hopefully everyone out there in California is okay uh, as the best as they possibly can be during these wild wild flyers. Wild flowers. Wild fires. Uh, This is a serious matter. And we are so, so, so uh, praying for you guys to pull through during this time. We know it's really difficult. And also for your grapes to pull through, your vineyards, your wineries as well, because uh, we do support the industry and hope everyone is doing well out there. And also to our people in Colorado, uh, it snowed yesterday. We want to make sure that you guys are okay. A 50... 50 degree temperature change is not okay. Um, Global warming, cooling, I don't even know what to call it, but 2020 is that year. We just want to make sure everybody's okay. Stay blessed, stay, stay cool, stay warm, stay okay, stay well, be well, love each other. You know, it's, it's been a year, guys. We need to just love man we just got to be better people because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow so we just need to love each other today want to shout out bartender ben for all he does and everything uh here at the rose hour podcast angeline magdalene uh want to shout out my two great nieces that you guys are going to learn more about Mackenzie and janelle uh they're three and one years old and they're the most adorable and uh, fun-filled babies ever and they're giving me inspiration uh, for this Rose Hour podcast because we are talking about legacy leaving uh, things and wealth creation and these two little ladies are part of that wealth creation that we're trying to have for our family so shout out to them and we'll, we'll talk about that next episode uh, but also my family, friends uh, I started a new job this week that we talked about earlier so shout out to my new teammates uh, so excited to be a part of the team and you know what guys Check us out next week Two more dope guests Don't forget to follow, like, subscribe Join us for our happy hours on Thursdays We're bringing back Soulful Sundays uh, We know we talked about going to a venue Unfortunately, COVID spiked again in the D.C. area So we had to postpone that But we have some more ideas coming up So don't forget to follow us To, to know more about those details Again, it's been real. We love you. Sip, sip, hooray. Cheers, toast, salute, a away, all of those things. Till next week, guys. Pew, pew, pew.